This episode is brought to you by Sleep Number. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. And with Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping and gives you personalized insights for your best sleep. Stick around. You stick around. (laughs) Later in the episode to hear a special segment from us and Sleep Number. Bye. Everybody loves a lover. I'm a lover. Everybody loves me. Anyhow, that's Hello, dear listener, and welcome to yet another glorious episode of Internationally Beloved Podcast, In Bed with Nick and Megan. And by Nick and Megan, I mean this glorious hunk of man sitting right next to me, in our bed, Mm. on our bed, and with our bed, Mr. Nick Offerman. What's up? And, of course, there's me, featured guest star, Megan Mullally. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Nick. (laughs) And audiences everywhere, this is an exciting moment because this is the cliffhanging, much-anticipated second installment, final installment, second half of All Things Nick Offerman. Mm. We have heard already All Things Nick Offerman the early years. Today, All Things Nick Offerman the later years. So, Nick, when we left off, our hero, who is you, had just left the Chicago, uh, the great city of Chicago and the Chicago theater scene, Mm -hmm. if I may, for Los Angeles, California. That's right. Where we now sit in, on, and with our bed. Yeah. Which is a California king. I don't think that can be stressed enough. Mm Mm-mm. So, Nick, what year did you arrive in Los Angeles? I couldn't quite hear you all the way across this California king. It's wide. Uh, can you see me waving? No. I don't have my glasses. Oh, now I can see you. Hi. Uh, here I am. I'm over, I'm over here t- uh, to the west. Okay. Okay, so tell me your question again. What year did you arrive in Los Angeles? I left Chicago for some reason... Uh, on Christmas Eve, <laughs> my poor mother, like oh I, I packed all my belongings into a crappy Subaru wagon mm. and stopped in Manuka to kiss my mother and say goodbye to my family. Mm. And I set off across the, uh, the western half of the United States. And so I arrived pretty much right at the top of 1997. All right. So in three years time, you would meet the featured guest star of In Bed with Nick and Megan, yeah. Megan Mullally. That's right. Who's me. So what did you do to fill the time between the beginning of 1997 and April of 2000 when your life changed forever for the great? <laughs> I drank a lot of crappy bourbon. Um, I lived with, with Pat Roberts, with my friend Pat Roberts, who is still uh, your best friend. Still my best friend, and he is a really funny, great artist. And he's uh, great. We lived together, and um, you know, 
we both were guys in our late 20s. He's a couple years older than me. And uh, with, you know, we, we b both have unique voices in our fields. What's his Instagram name? Pat Riot, I Pat think. Pat Riot. Pat underscore Riot, maybe. Perhaps, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, at, on Instagram, you can check out his art. He's an artist, he's an applied artist. He's great. Yeah, he's really funny. Amazing. So talented. Yeah, he's a cool weirdo. So we lived together and we were just kind of like the world had told us that, um, you know, uh, there would be a place for us in the in the art world for him and in the world of entertainment for me. Uh, so like stick with it, you know, persevere and eventually things will look up. So we were kind of whiling our time. We were smoking a lot of marijuana and just trying to enjoy ourselves as best we could. I was working uh, as a carpenter. I was hanging lights for the Disney Corporation, which they also called Mauschwitz at the time, or Duckow. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and he was, you know, working jobs, art department jobs. And, uh, and we said at one point, because we both were kind of really flailing to try and go out on dates that were just even remotely positive. Uh, anytime either one of us... Not with each other. No. With others. With, a, with, with, with women, generally. Mm -hmm. And anytime one of us would meet a woman that seemed pretty keen, it became a rule. She turned out to invariably be either married or gay. Like, we just, you know... So we, and I was both. We had friends, yeah. Uh, and so we, we were socializing, uh, and I, I was working, you know, uh, some guest star jobs and, like, Sundance type of movies, but n not consistently, you know, but, it, but I was having enough uh, nibbles to keep me interested. And we got to the point, probably in late 1999, where we were hanging out, sort of bemoaning the state of affairs, and we said to each other, you know, there's got to be kick-ass women of taste in this town looking for us. Like, we're not everybody's cup of tea by any stretch of the imagination, but there, <laughs> have, there has to be a couple of powerful ladies that like weird stuff <laughs> who are looking for us. And once we said that out loud, it was totally the secret because within a few weeks, he met his wife, who would Courtney, who would become to be his wife, and then... Not long after, uh, they started dating, and it was and, and not long after you and I met doing a play, and one of the first things we did romantically as a couple was attend their wedding in Bel Air. Yeah, that was the first time we stayed in a hotel room together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Courtney worked at Warner Brothers at the time. Now she basically runs Warner Brothers. And I was between my second and third seasons of the first time around of Will and Grace when we met. Mm -hmm. So good work. Yeah, we made the right call. <laughs> <laughs> we still, you know, I'm the godfather of their two teenagers and they have a very happy life. Pat turned into a, an incredible dad. He's the godfather of, of our ghost babies. That's right. Um, I suspect he actually might have fathered one of them. Nick and I have seven ghost babies that we've never talked about publicly before. Well, we have a little bit, but not a lot of people know. They bring us joy sometimes. Yeah. Some of them are from another time. Sometimes they spook us. Yeah. 
But we, um, you know, we both get together all the time. My wood shop is near his house, so we get to see each other frequently. And, uh, and we still laugh at that piece of fortune that we said, there's got to be some great women looking for us. <laughs> and then so who were, the, who were the babes from 97 to 2000, the married gay babes? Was oh. there anybody of note or just a, an amorphous blur? Yeah, I mean, nobody, it wasn't like Ellen or something. Um, <laughs> or uh, You didn't date Ellen DeGeneres? I That's didn't, weird. I didn't even consider it, to be honest, with all due respect. She's very nice. Yeah. No, I mean, it would have been a laugh. I find her quite attractive. Yeah, I think we would have had some chuckles. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the, I couldn't even, I mean, I don't even remember any of them because it was like you'd meet them at a party or something and you get to talking. And at the time, I was still doing things with my theater company in Chicago. And um, there, there was like a year that I spent, I was in charge of a crew of artists making 21 different creatures for this play by Carol Churchill called The Scriker about English folk uh, creatures. And so we were making puppets and masks and all kinds of stuff. And so quite often I'd be socializing and that would be, <laughs> that would be the turning point where I would invariably someone would say, well, what are you up to? And I'd say, well, I'm working on these puppets for my theater company. And they would at that Just point, turn and leave. Kakraka and half a. Pretend to receive a phone call. Um, <laughs> in the, on their wallet. On their pager, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, I mean. Because that was before. What did you do? That was before cell phones. That was. <clears> that was a better time, let's we, face it. Yeah, we were really into. We watched a lot of Mr. Show with Bob and David. Mm -hmm. And we watched a lot of movies uh, and read books and we went for walks. I mean, we were, we were like a couple of teenagers. Uh, one of our favorite pastimes, there, there was this concrete wall near us, a cinder block wall, and there was a grapefruit tree and the grapefruits would always fall to the ground. And so walking by, Pat, Treasures. Uh, Pat is amazing at throwing things. <laughs> um, He's, I don't know, 6'3", 6'4". Mm -hmm. And so he would always say, watch how hard I can throw. And he would throw these grapefruits against the wall. And watching them explode was one of our most glorious pastimes. <laughs> like, it, we were reduced to that. We, I know you had some very attractive living quarters. Three places you lived before you met me in Los Angeles. Please describe. Go. Um, starting from the most recent... Uh, that was in uh, a friend's unfinished basement, the floor of which was actually soil uh, <laughs> that I had agreed to live in for free in exchange for turning it into a habitable space. Um, I did a little bit of work in there, and I also helped these friends like build a theater. So I think they, they didn't feel cheated by me, but it, it was pretty sordid. That was the worst, actually. Um, before that, I lived uh, with Pat and another roommate, uh, also named Pat, in a, in a duplex in Silver Lake, and that was pretty groovy. I mean, we made a pretty nice go of it. You know, we were all generally pretty responsible and like were you know paid our rent, but still enjoyed the hedonism of our late twenties. Um, 
And then before that, I lived in one of those studios in West Hollywood that's like a one-room building, one of those little bungalow studios. And that was where I started building furniture. <laughs> so <laughs> the, and it was tough. I was really having a tough time making the rent. And I ended up kind of moving out under the cover of darkness. Uh, I had soured the, the sort of superintendent who lived in one of the buildings on me because I had built a walnut wardrobe, standing wardrobe for my agent at the time completely in the in the same room that I slept in and ate my meals in. So everything was covered in walnut sawdust. It's a very beautiful piece, but uh, did not go Where over was well. this? Where was I didn't, I missed where it was. It's in West Hollywood. Oh, really? Where? Um, you never told me that. Yeah, we drove by it once. I mean, it, it was pretty forgettable, but. Where? It was a block north of Santa Monica, um, a few blocks west of Fairfax. Oh. Huh. Interesting. There's, there's a diner there that I think is called the Silver Spoon. Is that, does that sound right? Kind of. It was like a block above that. And hang out on Welsh yeah, it was, too much. I mean, it was like a five-minute walk from your place on Harper. That's like a 25-minute walk. I take big steps. Oh, right. Nick, in fact, in reality, is not only a slow talker, but a slow walker. Okay. Not anymore. Enough about me. Um, I'm not a slow walker anymore. Well, bet. <laughs> I amble through life. Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, that's why we're married. That's why we're in love. Because <laughs> you're awesome. Because you're a nice guy who's not stressed out and freaky and neurotic. True. Um, all right, so no real, did you have sex for three years? I mean, you did, you must not have, not really. much. <laughs> really? Um, <laughs> I want to know what the exception to the rule was. Th uh, there was two or three times, uh, in Chicago on trips back. Oh, got it. With old pals. Yeah. Um, there was one girlfriend that I lived with briefly that involved sexual congress. Um, huh. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was pretty dry. Who's this girlfriend? Uh, she was a friend from college who was in our theater department. And uh, it, it, was, it was a little sad on my part. Like I was really depressed and um, and I was really comforted by, she, she was like a, she was really nice. And uh, I needed a room and she had a room available. She had a couple of roommates that were all from Chicago theater. And so I, I moved into the room and she cooked a lot. And I sort of let myself um, lazily uh, fall into like, oh, maybe I should just get involved with my landlady who cooks and like, you know, seems like, like we're making a nice home here. And then I, and then I realized that I was totally like giving up in a way or like that I, I wasn't doing the right thing by either one of us. So I extricated myself. Wow. And was that person never to be seen again or uh, constant contact or somewhere in between? 
I feel pretty much out of touch. I mean, the, the, I may have seen her once at something somewhere over the years, but she's part of, the, like, she, she was in the class ahead of me. Okay. So. Yeah. Too old. Yeah. Uh, for you. Mm-hmm. You don't like older women. Mm-mm. What I'm trying to say, dear listener, is that I'm 11 and a half years older than Nick. Get it? Hilarious jokes. Um, all right, so I know, I saw one place that you lived in after we had started um, actually dating for real because you had rented a little house with your brother, Oh, yeah, Matt. I forgot about that place. Matt lived out, Matt's, Nick's younger brother, Matt, lived out here for a little while, a year or two couple of years, few few years. years yeah. and you guys had rented a house that you slept in a total of one night I happen to know for a fact yeah that's right and because you were pulling that same gag on me that you pulled with your landlady where you're like oh it's pretty nice here I guess uh don't mind if I do <laughs> <laughs> so your landlady and I have at least that in common um <laughs> and I saw that place and I remember it because the floor was slanted mm. at a, a good I'd say a, what a eight or nine no more I'd, I'd than say that. A 12 degrees I was right. gonna say that was my first thing I was gonna say 14 degrees yeah yeah it would have been 14 a degrees slant rain would have safely cascaded down the floor I mean it was it wasn't just like I think the floor's a little crooked it was like whoa the, the that made the rent a great deal yeah and it got broken in not when you were there because you're only there for one night but it got broken into when Matt was there yeah well Matt was at work and uh, someone broke in and stole his he had a big TV and entertainment system, and I and I had a whole set of tools, all my carpenter tools they stole. So that house, where was that? Was that Koreatown or? Uh, Echo Park. Echo Park. So those were the, where you had your domestic life. All right, so then. Uh, those were the locations of my sadness. So did you work, as, you worked as an actor a little bit mm -hmm. for those three years? Yeah, I maintained my like SAG insurance. Like I, I worked enough that I was making probably a third of my living as an actor, and I was getting my teeth taken care of. Oh, because I had dental. How many teeth do you have? Because you're still getting those teeth taken care of. I got like seven. <laughs> Half a tooth every no, two years. I have uh, only a, a couple teeth that are fake teeth. Mm -hmm. So you do have quite a lot of extensive dental work done. I didn't realize it had been going on since the late nineties. So oh, that, yeah. you got thats twenty-two years. The of main dental reason work I moved know of. to LA was because I had a molar. I was twenty-six, and. I was like, man, Chicago's great. I can just have a burrito and a pack of cigarettes and, a, and like four pints of beer a day. And I could afford that as a theater actor. This is, I'm living like a king. And then, um, and then in a back lower molar, I just had a, it just turned into a crater and I could fit an entire peppercorn in it, what? which is handy. Did you do that? If you're hiking. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if you need to pack 
spices mm. on a long walk. But it, you know, it became alarming where I, I suddenly adulthood set in and I learned about things like medical insurance and dental and so forth. And I knew um, I had done this Sundance movie in 96 with Ben Affleck and Jeremy Davies, directed by Mark Pellington. Um, Rachel Vise, Amy Locaine, and others. Uh, wow, the hits just keep on coming. Yeah. And um, that shot in Indiana, and everyone there, like the director and the producer, said, Oh, you, you got to move to LA. You've got a great mug. Let me put up some finger quotes. You've got a great mug. You're going to do terrific. And I, so I went home and said, Well, you guys, Moving to L.A., I've got a great mug. <laughs> and, um, but that was really the, one of the main reasons was to cash in my dental insurance and get my tooth fixed. Mm. Well. I wish I, God, I wish I would have told that story in Letterman now that I think about I it. I know. Save it for Letterman. That's what we always say. We have a great story about our teeth. <laughs> Save it for Letterman. I'll tell you what, Dave. So... <laughs> <laughs> He still has a show. You ever heard of Affleck, the older? He has. He still has a show, but you have to need no introduction to be on it. Yeah. I'm not sure how many people there are who fit that bill. Um, still love him though. He give you a run for your money in the beer department. Oh, I, I love Dave. Not many who can. All right. So in 2000, you did a play. Tell us about it. Well. You know, at the end of this, it was a truly a bleak period, uh, and we were aware that we were drinking too much. In fact, when Pat started dating Courtney, he quit drinking because it, it was a clear problem, and and so he gave up drinking, which was and f has stuck with it, which I really admire. Um, and I said, you know, L.A. is not a great theater town like Chicago or New York. Chicago's little sister um, in the theater department. But nonetheless, that's what I built my life upon, was doing theater. And so I, just to save myself, I need to find a play to do, um, or, or I'm going to end up failing and probably moving home to Chicago. And so I told my friends I need to find a play, and these champion casting directors... Nicole Arbusto and Joy Dixon said, hey, we know of a play, this cool company called The Evidence Room. Um, I think they're just called Evidence Room, which I always found disagreeable. So I, I will obstinately call them The Evidence Room. Um, but they, uh, this guy named Bart Lorenzo was producing this play called The Berlin Circle. And they said, uh, you know, you might find this to be a great incentive. We have Megan Mullally from the hit new TV show, Will and & Grace. And I said, I live in a dirt basement with no television, um, so I have not seen the program. And frankly, I'm a theater snob from Chicago, so I'm not interested in working with a TV lady. I perform works of literature on the stage. And like, instead this crazy, wrong-headedness. It's, it's like a defense mechanism, especially in Chicago, to give yourself permission not to move to L.A. or New York. You look down at both of them. But I auditioned for the role, and it was a, an East German soldier 
who had a monologue comparing his phallus to his anus. So of course I got the part um, that was perfect for it. And, uh, and we met. Yeah, that's when we met in 2000, doing this play, rehearsing the play. And that's when everything turned around for me. For the worse or the better? Or... Very much for the better. Okay. That's when, I mean, my, I, I confidently think that uh, it actually saved my life. Because I, I, was, I was drinking too much and, and uh, smoking two packs a day. Uh, you know, I was like using uh, intoxicants to mask the pain of perceived failure. Hey, Nick. Hello. Listen, I'm in a, I'm in a little bit of a hurry because I'm on my way to therapy. But um, did you know that you can get counseling online? Um, no, I did not know that. I mean, I'm not saying that you need it, but I'm just saying, for no particular reason, that you could get counseling online. Well, I mean, I feel like, I don't know, in general, sometimes there is something interfering with my happiness or preventing me from achieving my goals. Um, well, there you go. Is this online counseling the kind of thing that could help with that? It is. It is absolutely the kind of thing that could help with that. It's called Better Help. Better Help. And uh, you can go to them and you can find a professional counselor. And but it's, uh, is it a licensed professional counselor? Yes, it is. Okay, good. Yes, it is. They specialize in depression, anxiety, relationships. I mean, not that your relationship is anything less than 100% perfect. Trauma, anger, family conflicts, shut up, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem. I mean, your self-esteem is pretty low, I think we can say. Well, I mean, you know, uh, um, self-loathing, I think, is something that occurs <laughs> to everybody. But, I mean, these are all these are all pretty great things, and I feel like, you know... We know a lot of people besides ourselves that f sort of fall into these categories that could use uh, a little help one and, way or another. And even though it's online, it's safe and it's private, and um, everything that you talk about is completely confidential. So I guess I the cool really thing is, uh, since it's online, you can probably set up appointments to do it at your own time. Yeah, whenever pace. you want. I mean, I don't know if they're going to do it at like 2 in the morning, but you could do it at pretty much your own time. In your own time. Um, so, yeah, you just do it over the phone. You can do a video chat. You can text. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can do it. Um, so, and if you're not, you find a counselor and you're not happy with them, you can request a new counselor anytime oh, you want to. That's excellent. Yeah. So, um, look, I did look into this a little bit because mm. I'm a little worried about you, only because... You have to deal with me. Let's face it. Well, um, you can get ten percent off of your first month with the discount code BED B E D. Wow! So why not? I mean, it is half your podcast. Yeah, you know. So it sounds pretty affordable. I mean, in general, probably rather than hauling myself into some fancy therapy office. Um, I guess if I'm going to go there and fill out a questionnaire and see if they can help me assess my needs and get matched with a counselor that I might love. All right. Well, you got to go to betterhelp.com slash bed and uh, 
you know, that's all you really need to do. And I'm sorry that I've been such a handful and that you need to go to therapy, but I'm glad that there's a resource for you. Hey, we're all in this together. Okay. Hey, guys. Rothy's is the company that makes stylish shoes and now bags for women and girls out of repurposed plastic water bottles and marine plastic. So that's pretty great. Rothy's shoes are comfy. They are already broken in. Don't have to do that. It's done for you. They're machine washable. And Rothy's launches new colors and patterns every few weeks and they sell out really fast. So, you know, you basically got to go on that website and just stay on it 24-7 to be safe. They come with free shipping and free returns. And um, Rothy's has kept 50 million single-use plastic water bottles out of landfills. So good for them. Check out all the amazing shoes and bags available right now at rothys.com slash bed. Go to rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash bed. Comfort, style, and sustainability. Meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash bed today. All right, so three favorite memories from the first year of our relationship of our courtship relationship oh okay the first um is my puss (laughs) that i did not encounter that in the first year unfortunately (laughs) um the the first is the first day i met you i is one of the craziest days of my life because you had been set up as as this exciting person who I had not seen, I had not seen Will and Grace. And so I wasn't familiar with you, but you came in and you looked amazing in your, and I mean, I, I had even just seen very few people in real life who dressed as sharply as you do. Um, and you just looked great and you had crazy fashion shoes on that had like six inch platforms. They were red wooden platforms. Yeah. Oh yeah, there were wood, right? I mean wood and leather, right. but wooden heels. And um wooden platform. And so there was this aura around you. And now I I had worked with great people in Chicago and and with like people from film and TV at Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago. So I had been around and like experienced sort of different forms of mastery and like movie stars and whatnot. But to this day, perhaps, I mean, I could think of like David Hyde Pierce comes to mind. I could, there are very few people, if any, who exhibited the craft that you shat out in the very first read through. <laughs> like I was immediately besotted with you as an actor. You, as I said to you, when you eventually were called to consider, um, to audition for uh, Young Frankenstein on Broadway that Mel Brooks was producing, I said, you are like a Mel Brooks movie. Like you are, you are, you seem to have, you're like an encyclopedia of vaudevillian faces and takes and timings. And that is always apparent whether you're doing, because you, you're a consummate artist. You, you don't show up at the first read through of a play without having prepared, like you're ready to present the play. You know, you're not like, eh, I'm doing some play with a bunch of jerks. Like, you know, you don't blow anything off. And so from the moment I met you, I just 
before I even knew that I was going to fall in love with you, I was like, holy shit, I have a new hero. <laughs> um, That's what, nice, Pop. Well, it is nice, and it's held up. I mean, you still... I've just never met anybody. That's the thing. The the This is the tip for the listener. I always thought if you're as talented, like when I was a kid, I, I really loved Eddie Murphy and his comedy. And I, I equated that kind of talent. I was like, man, if you're as good as Eddie Murphy, you just show up, you probably smoke a joint. And then you're like, hey, guys, here's some bullshit I was thinking about. And they laugh their asses off and give you a million dollars and you go buy another Corvette. <laughs> but that's a fallacy. That's stupid. You, the, the people who succeed the, the most have that talent, but also treat it responsibly and work as hard as they can to package and present their talent in as effective a way as possible. And you still do that. And I have learned, I, always, I, I love having you around setting that example for me. Um, so that's one memory. Okay. Number two, I guess, would be my introduction to your style and lifestyle, which would mean like walking into your apartment for the first time that eventually would become our apartment again was everything you do should be in a museum or magazine. And so that apartment had such an incredibly charming sort of Chinese uh, vintage store slash Chinese feel. Like a chinoiserie is what they used to call it. Yeah, that's what I, I was about to say. Um, <laughs> and I was going to spell it too, unless you want to go ahead and spell it. Okay. C-H-I-N-O-I-S-E-R. Chinoiserie. E-R-I-E. Yeah. Nice. We love we love words here, and uh, we often get into conversations about how I pronounce them wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Correct. But it, it, again, you know, to walk into someone's living space that is so charming and cozy and uh, attractive, um, just again, I I I had been to cool apartments and I had seen houses, you know, that I was like, oh, that's cool. But this is, was just such a cut above. Um, but so far above that I still didn't get it, that you were um, attainable or like available to me, like that I, that I could remotely be in your league. <laughs> um, I was like, look at how my hero lives. It's crazy. No wonder she knows her lines <laughs> the way she does. And then I guess the uh, the third memory that springs to mind mm. um, is my the 4th of July at the Hollywood Bowl. Mm -hmm. And we went to see Glenn Campbell. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just a beautiful, you know, the most idyllic night under the stars, listening to Glenn Campbell. And then the, like, Hollywood Symphony, the L.A. Symphony, played some John Philip Sousa, and there were fireworks, and you asked me to be your boyfriend. Mm, I whispered it in your ear. Yeah, and you bought me that American Eagle 
uh, blanket because I was cold and crying um, and whimpering and mewling. And you wrapped me in that American Eagle blanket and restored my manhood. And now here we lie in our bed. Yeah. Wow. You believe. Crazy. Doing a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thanks for those nice compliments. That was really sweet. Thanks for giving me cause. (laughs) Um, So that was the beginning of our love. Yeah. 2000, almost 20 years. We're... (sighs) We're past the 19-year mark. We're into the 20th, beginning of the 20th. It'll be 20 years in, I think, April is when we met. Holy shit. You look really good. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Um, you know, you should, you'd think a couple that have enjoyed each other for 20 years, they would say things like, well, we're holding up okay. And we are, but... It, and, you don't give me cause to say that. For some reason, you look better than you did when I met you. That's really nice. Thank you. I so think it's a I lucky circumstance. I feel better as a human, so that helps. That's a good beauty tip. Yeah. So then uh, I was, like I said, that right after we met, was I started the third season of Will and Grace. A lot of things happened right when we first met. Mm-hmm. I got nominated for an Emmy for the first time, and... Nick went with me to the Emmys, and I won, mm-hmm. which was crazy. Yeah. So that was kind of a thing. My mom was there. Um, you had an amazing navy blue dress with a what I've learned is called a plunging neckline. <laughs> <laughs> a little too plunging. That dress didn't fit me at all. Um, I was falling off. My right boob was falling out all night. That's what I'm talking about. Right? And um, then... So a lot was going on, and I'm saying that by way of saying that Nick went from living in somebody's basement with a dirt floor to going with his new girlfriend to the Emmys and, you know, things like that. So it was like a little bit of a different lifestyle, mm-hmm. may I venture to say. Yeah, you. It was, it was like if it was a Bugs Bunny cartoon, you like threw me in the door of, of J. Crew and Barney's and I whirlwinded through and came. Oh, that J. Crew and Barney's were in the same category. Those are the two places you took me. <laughs> um, I guess for casual and, uh, and more formal wear. And I whirlwinded through and came out the other end, like dressed in a tuxedo. <laughs> with s- s- smoke coming out my ears because of the price of socks. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole new world. And... Uh, then, uh, I did Will and Grace until 2006, and you worked as an actor. So the good thing, the good thing about you, let me ask, let me put this in question form. How did you avoid... I was hoping we'd get to the good from thing the about time, me. From the time that, say, we met until you got Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. you worked sporadically as an actor, but not consistently. How did you avoid falling into the trap that all other actors fall into except for you of being annoying and <laughs> complaining about not getting auditions or not it's actors are unbearable 
you're not one of those types of people. You, you don't fall into the unbearable category. So how did you avoid that? Well, when I first got... It has to do... I'll give you a clue. It has to do... Okay. I, I was going there. When I, first, when I first got to L.A. and sort of quickly was thrown into the business, and I was lucky enough to have, like, an agent and, and a manager, so I was getting auditions and meetings, and I quickly learned, to my dismay, how shitty the town is and the business is and how superficial everything is. Because in Chicago theater, I would get work just on the merits of my... Pr people would see you in a play and say, oh, we should cast him as the jackass in our play and so forth. And work would beget work. Then in Hollywood, you'd go into these meetings in the late 90s, imagine, where the internet had not taken over. And people would say like, what you, like they'd look at your list of theater credits and say, what is this? this is this a Chinese menu? What's, who's Shakespeare? And, and they would say, do you have anything on tape? Like, you know, do you have, and you're like, not have some bullshit or like a commercial or music video. And so I basically was immediately rendered, uh, I was sort of immediately emasculated where people were like, you're worthless until you get some work. And in order to get work, you have to get an agent and it's hard to get arrested. And I said, this is horrible. And all my friends were doing what you said. Everybody was just like getting together and commiserating, like, did you get an audition? Did you get a callback? This is so hard. Let's get drunk. And I said, okay, I can see this is going nowhere. So I'm going to eschew this whole scene. I'm not going to chase fame and like Hollywood. I'm going to make money as a carpenter uh, instead of like chase everything that I see in, in the trades. And so I focused on building things. I've started building decks and porch, like uh, cabins and people's yards and stuff. And that quickly led me to become obsessed with woodworking. Um, in, in Pasadena, there are these houses by the Green and Green Brothers uh, that are incredible examples of, of craftsmen woodworking, both furniture and timber-framed houses. And just suddenly, uh, my years of scenery building and tool use and house framing all sort of coalesced into uh, an epiphany where I said, oh, I am obsessed with wood and making it into stuff. So I started my wood shop, and that um, make, building furniture there was just an incredible subsidiary part of my life so that I could go to an audition that more often than not would end in rejection and like would would easily lead you to depression but instead of wallowing in that I would then go to my shop and just be okay with life but but that's just one ingredient the thing is you were the biggest ingredient because I had a happy life and I was being supportive of you, I was taking care of like, you know, whatever I, I needed to at home while you were at work kind of thing. And like between that and occasional acting work and woodworking, I, I thought I had, that my life had peaked more than I ever dreamed it would. Because like to do, a, to be the main guest star on like 
uh, an hour drama or to have a nice part in like a Sundance movie. Those were really exciting to me at the time and they paid well. Um, and so I, I was over the moon, you know, I, I didn't, I guess I never ha have had any crazy ambitions. Like I've got to win an Oscar or I've got to, you know, I have to play an astronaut before I die or anything like that. I just love getting to work on stuff. Um, so I, I was pretty damn happy at the time. Well, I, it was great because, like I said, it, it can be a real bummer. Um, it can be hard to, you know, be an actor and all that kind of thing, but it can also be hard to be married to an actor or be in a relationship with an actor if they're not working because it, it's usually the only thing that actors want to talk about is the mm. fact that they're not getting work. Right. And you never did that. I mean, the most that you did was, and I don't even know if you're aware of it, we've never talked about it, but the most that you did was we'd be watching a television show or a movie and any guy that was remotely in your age range who was in the movie, you'd be like, oh man, he's just, he's terrible. <laughs> Isn't he? I mean, I, I just, oh, I can't stand that guy. Yeah, I remember. And, I, and you didn't really realize you were doing it, but that, if that's the only thing you did, then that was fine. You don't do it anymore. No, because I recognized it at a certain point. Also, anyone who used like a tool or a shovel I was like, oh, God, this guy doesn't know how to fucking dig, dig a hole to save his and life. And I was frantically trying not to mention when there was a guy in it that I'd had sex with. I just wouldn't mention it. But it was tempting to be like, it was, you know, it was tempting to be like, oh, there's so-and-so. But I would just be like, don't say it. <laughs> didn't like, happen that often. I didn't have sex with many actors. I appreciate you holding back. Yeah. But I think I've tried to let you know. And in the in intervening years, yeah, it's only fair. No, that's life. I, I, um, I also should say that uh, a key to what you're talking about was also the world kept telling me that thing happened with Gary Shandling, where, like, oh the, yeah, tell that story. That's crazy. Well, the, the world kept giving me just little signals, uh, encouraging me to stay the course. Um, Somebody, you know, some writer would take a shine to me and like write me a pilot, which was a huge deal. Yeah. And I wouldn't end up, they'd end up casting like James Vanderbeek instead of so me. Those are a lot of, some Will and Grace writers did that. Yeah. And, um, but, but that's a signal that like, uh, if every, if all the stars align, one of these will work and I could finally get my shot. And one, one day we were in Malibu. Wait, so... Well, you can't just say we were in Malibu because that's just, that begs for an explanation. Um, we, I was doing Will and Grace and for some reason, everybody was renting houses in Malibu. For the summer. For the summer. And I don't know why I thought we should do it. It's ridiculous. I've, I've been out in the sun for a total of 20 minutes in my entire life. Yeah. But for some reason... We were like, well, I guess we should rent a house in Malibu. It's ridiculous. And a complete waste of money. So we did. It was stupid. And we went out one night at sunset because I don't go out in the sun. Right. So it's like basically dark. And we go for a walk and there's nobody there. And we're walking along and we see a man coming toward us. It was the first person we'd seen. And Nick was like, that's Gary Shandling. 
and I'd never met him, but I, we had a mutual friend. And so we introduced ourselves and he talked to me for a minute. And then, you know, Nick said, Nick didn't, you didn't say much. No. I, and, and I was standing, you know, like back a little a ways in back of you. But you, you chimed in a little bit, but we hadn't, we really had only been talking for a couple of minutes. And then he was eyeballing me. He was. And then he said, so are you an actor, Nick? And Nick said, uh, yes. And I mean, you might've made a little joke or something. I don't think so. I don't. And, and he said, with you're no going to be a big star. Yeah, with no provocation. He said, "You're gonna, you're gonna be a big star," and and Nick kind of said, "Oh, thanks," and oh, really, or <laughs> something like that. If and, you could pass and, that along to uh, some some network executives, that'd be great. Yeah, and then Gary said, "Yeah, I just I have a sixth sense about these kinds of things. You're gonna do great. You're gonna be huge." And then we chat a little more and. He walked away and we were like, wow, that was really, it was really interesting. He thinks you're going to be a big star. That's so cool. And, and then um, and a few years later, so I did well in Grace until 2006. Right. And then in 2009, or two, I guess around 2008, you yeah. got cast in yeah. Parks and Rec, but they wrote that part for you. Yeah. And because you'd auditioned for Mike Schur on The Office a few times. Yeah, I mean, they created the role, uh, and they tried to cast me in, a, in another role, which came became Mark Brandanowitz. Mm -hmm. So they so so Ron Swanson existed, and as conceived, was supposed to be about twenty years older than me. But then, nothing had been written yet, and so when NBC said no to me as the other guy, that's when Mike Schur and Greg Daniels said, "You know what? Let's make him." Leslie's boss and they stuck to their guns and NBC fought it but they finally persevered in the end and um, and so so then it ended up yes being created with and for me yeah I knew you were gonna get that part um, but anyway so then you did and that show was the thing that brought you into the public eye and the, and the crazy uh, coda to the story is on the next time I saw Gary, which was several years later, you know, I, of course, was like, I wonder if he remembers meeting me, basically. When I went over and said hi to him, he put his arm around me and said, thanks for not proving me wrong. Ugh. You believe that oh guy? Oh, my God. So I, so I had moments like that. He was like one that. of the funniest. Then we saw him at, at several other times at parties and stuff, and he is absolutely one of the funniest people I've ever been around. Just, yeah. He wouldn't say much, and then all of a sudden he just dropped this bomb. Yeah, he was really special. It's amazing. Brilliant comedy mind. This is Nick Offerman here to tell you that I am very chuffed that I discovered Grassroots Farmers Cooperative. This is a company that I am really excited about. They raise their meat in a pasture. Not only is their meat delicious, it also has a higher nutritional value because their animals are 100% pasture raised. 
All right, they're not living in a cage. They're not being force-fed grain. Unlike factory farming, which is destroying our planet, Grassroots Co-op is fighting the effects of climate change by practicing regenerative agriculture, taking it back to Mother Nature, getting the chemicals out of farming, getting the industry out of farming. Also, they support local farmers. Grassroots Farmers Cooperative are the farmers and the butchers. There's no middleman. So they can have the highest standards across the board and offer you complete transparency. You can trace your meat from pasture to plate. You can even go visit the farms in person. It's incredible. No subscriptions are necessary. You order what you want, when you want, at peak freshness. I've got a whole panoply of their meat in my freezer. This morning I made the most delicious ham steaks with my eggs. And it... When, I'm telling you, when you eat grass-fed meat and grass-fed eggs, which are not on offer here, but I'm, this is just a personal anecdote for your pleasure, it takes me back to when I was a kid and, and, and we got locally raised uh, meats and, and eggs. It's so much more nutritious. It's before factory farming became so prevalent. You can find out for yourself by ordering Grassroots Co-op right now. They're giving our listeners this fantastic limited-time deal. It's $40 off plus free shipping. You can get the full details and place your order now by going to our special URL, grassrootscoop.com slash bed. That's grassrootscoop.com slash bed. Enjoy. So then you, Nick... Ron Swanson, Parks and Recreation, and it was a great experience. Uh, you wrote an episode, you directed a couple of episodes. Um, the show won a Peabody Award and some other things. I can't, strangely enough, if, if you can believe this, dear listener, Nick was never nominated for an Emmy for that role, which is insane. Mm. I think it's insane. And now he's doing this crafting show with Amy Poehler called Making It, and they were both nominated for an Emmy for hosting. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I have, to uh. I have to tell you something about that in one second, but the truly the wonderful thing about that, and, and you know, we, it was a weird thing. Parks and Rec was a critical darling, and we had a really wonderful, and still do have an incredibly uh, passionate fan base. Um, so it was always weird that we really got overlooked by awards well, in, in general. Well, if it was now, it wouldn't be so weird because there's 700 great shows. Right. If there were still only 10 great shows then. Uh, yeah, or, or 90, but yeah. And, but, but the thing is, and I, I felt it at the time, and I even said it, because I did a few different interviews where, like, you know, it would, be, it would be a news item that I was snubbed, and people would interview me about that. And it really has proven true. I said at the time, I would so much rather have the role of Ron Swanson on this show than win any of the trophies anybody else oh, is getting yeah. for anything 100%. else. Nobody remembers who won anything. Yeah. Nobody remembers who was nominated or who won ever. I mean, very rarely. But the life, the experience, I mean, it's still happening because of streaming. Like, Ron Swanson has proven to be 
I, I can't, I, I'm not aware of a greater gift of a role in the last 20 years, like in terms of like the, the fan appreciation and how the, you know, the timing, uh, it came along at the same time as GIFs and memes. And so Parks and Recreation just became this cultural moment that I was like, oh, I'm fine, guys. <laughs> and since Parks and Recreation, you have, you did a season of um, the show I can't think of the name of right now. Fargo. Fargo, thank you. And um, you have you've done a lot of movies, a lot of really cool, great movies. Um, you've got a show coming up. Well, first let's talk about, so you've done a lot of touring. So you started out as sort of, you're calling yourself a humorist, mm -hmm. and you've written three books that have all done really great. You wrote a book with me that did really great. Um, so we wrote a book together, The Greatest Love Story Ever Told, New York Times and LA Times bestseller. <laughs> Oops, did that slip out? And um, We're allowed to plug our... You've toured extensively doing your comedy, which you call yourself a humorist. Now you're moving more into like, maybe calling yourself a stand-up occasionally. Yeah. But you do shows. You did Full Bush. You did... Uh, oops, I did the wrong order. You tell the order. American Ham. American Ham first. Then Full Bush. And now this one is called... This new one that I'm just... Uh, and my latest... Sh and my latest is called All, All Rise. Rise. All Rise. So he does shows where he talks about funny things and he plays funny songs and he plays guitar and sings. So um, that's that. And then also you have a great show um, at, on FX called Devs. Mm -hmm. And um, you're the lead, lead guy. I'm more, yeah, lead I mean, it's an ensemble, but I'm, I'm perhaps the, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite of the protagonist. <laughs> but we'll see. Contagonist. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> lots of things, and um, we will be talking about those things that are more current in uh, throughout our award-winning number one podcast. I can't believe. In bed with Nick Thank you all for listening. Like the the numbers you're putting up, it's crazy, it's crazy. that we skyrocketed nice. straight to the top. <laughs> and um, so this has been the riveting second installment, second and final installment of All Things Nick Offerman, The Later Years. Thank you for having me. In the fifth season of our podcast, we can do another, the even later years. Yeah. The podcast years. All right. The years beyond. Thanks for getting in bed with me. Thanks for allowing me. Bed with Nick and Megan is an Earwolf production. It's produced by Megan Mullally, Kevin Bartelt, and Michael Landry. Executive produced by Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon. Music by Nancy and Beth, which can be found at www.nancyandbeth.com. If you enjoyed In Bed with Nick and Megan, make sure to rate it and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Hey, Nick. Oh, hey, honey. Guess what? What's up? This episode is brought to you by Sleep Number. Sleep Number! Um, darling, mm? do we agree on everything? 
Um, I f- no, I don't think we agree on everything. I, don't. I disagree. Mm. Oh, wait, I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess <laughs> you proved my point. <laughs> that, was, that was a trap. One thing I'd, I'm sure we don't agree on is firmness of mattress when it comes to our preference. Mm. You make a good point. Um, I feel like I like a little bit firmer mattress, and I feel like you could sleep on the floor. Yeah. You I, don't care. I like, I like sleep, a bale of hay. You could sleep on a bale of hay. You could sleep in the car. You could sleep in the pool if we had a, flo- a good floaty for you. So yeah. it's not as much of an issue. However, I mean, you're not crazy. It's a little bit of an issue. I'm exaggerating somewhat. But where did we recently make a pilgrimage to? Um, a store called Sleep Number. We went there yeah. in Los Angeles. And when once there, what did we do? We tried out their funky, cool mattresses. Yeah. Um, and, and we're pretty blown away by the adjustability of softness to firmness. There are heating and cooling elements. You can, you can raise and lower parts of the bed. It's pretty, pretty slick. Yeah, so we actually got a sleep number bed because we were so impressed. And um, our lives have been suitably changed for the better. Uh, that that explains my effervescent mood. However, in terms of the things that we disagree on, what is your actual sleep number, if that's not too intimate of a question? Um, I settled on 45. See, now, I don't know if you'll remember, but my number is 25. Yeah. Because my back liked that number the most yeah. of anything ever. Well, that's the cool thing about sleep numbers. You can adjust the two sides differently, which is crazy. You can get one mattress, one person can sleep on a 25, which just means it's more uh, pliant. You can sink in a little more. Mm-hmm. And one person can sleep on a 45. I like the, um, what's it called, zero gravity yeah. position, which is when your feet and your head are both elevated Ooh, that's some good stuff. Yeah, you're making me sleepy just talking about it. (laughs) You fell asleep when we even went to the mattress, to the sleep number store. You were asleep, much less on the actual bed that we now have. Yeah, I have no trouble nodding off. No, but you have even less trouble now that we have this fancy, amazing sleep number bed. I mean, I dare say that with this new bed... I can discover proven quality sleep. You've gone beyond sleep, I feel like. You've invented, and we have to invent a new word for what you're doing on this on our sleep member bed. If this sounds good to you, uh, I suggest you discover proven quality sleep for yourself with the sleep number 360 smart bed. You can save $1,000 on a queen-size special edition smart bed, now only $1,799 during the January sale. Wow, you've really been brushing up on your sleep number facts. Oh, sorry, I just nodded off for a second. Was oh, I talking, talking in my sleep? sleep? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Was I talking in my sleep number? Uh-oh. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com slash bed.
What did I just say? Sleepnumber.com slash bed. There he goes. Hey, Nick. Hey, honey. Listen, you seem fine, but I just wanted to tell you that in case you're suffering from depression or anxiety or trauma or grief, okay. betterhelp.com can connect you with a professional counselor. And it's safe and it's private and it's online. Wow, that sounds great. Where do where do I find that? Are you are you all right? Yeah, I oh. mean, uh, uh, I'm I'm gonna check it out. I think it sounds healthy. Okay, yeah. Well, you just can go to BetterHelp.com/bed, and you get ten percent off of your first month with that discount code, which is bed, B E D, all caps. And you just you can fill out a questionnaire and you get matched up with a counselor that you're gonna really love. Okay, thanks, honey. See you later. Oh, gosh. Um, Okay. But, but, you know, you can do it over the phone. You can do a video chat. You can even text. You have a phone, right? Yeah. Okay. Listen, I'm running out to... uh... Well, it's confidential. I I think you should tell me about it. But other than that, it's confidential. Okay, I'll record myself doing it. Are you doing it? No, but I'm going to check it out. What's it called again? Better Better help. help. Dot com slash bed. Yeah. Okay. See you later. Uh Uh-oh.